Hello and welcome to the I Want to Know podcast. I'm Josh Spector and I am your host. If you don't know who I am, I'm the creator of the For the Interested newsletter, which you can check out at fortheinterested.com. If you're new here, this podcast exists to help creative entrepreneurs get their questions answered. It's very simple. In each episode, a different guest comes on and asks me three questions. We have about a 10-minute conversation about each of them. And that's it. No flock. Hopefully, I have some helpful, actionable tips and strategies to share both for the guest and for everyone listening. Today, my guest is Andrew Methman. Andrew helps aspiring learners of Mandarin maintain and improve their language skills and stay on top of the latest language trends in China through his Slow Chinese newsletter. Each week, he picks one news story out of China, explains how people are discussing it, and shares cool and interesting words and phrases to discuss it in Chinese with his 5,500 readers, who probably won't find that vocabulary in a textbook. As well as the free newsletter, Andrew launched a paid membership and a community of language learners one year ago with nearly 300 subscribers. I've known Andrew for a while. I've done some work with him in the very beginning. I am super impressed with the progress he has made and the success he's had so far. He is really in the process of building something awesome. And and we're going to talk about, I know he has questions about those paid memberships and sort of how to take things to the next level. So with all of that said, hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Josh. Good to see you again. And great. Yeah, great to be here. Really, really looking forward to you hopefully helping me get my head around how I kind of get to the next stage in building this this audience based business. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and also for other people to to hear this because I know you had emailed and you had some questions and we were sort of going back and forth about the next step. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, lots of people who are in the position where you are in, who they've started a thing, whether it's a newsletter or some other product, subscription product, part of it's free, part of it's paid. They're all trying to figure out like, okay, how do I retain people? How do I sort of take this to the next step? How do I use social platforms to to grow this? And I was like, we should do this as a podcast episode because I know that I have a lot of thoughts about this and I know a lot of people will find them valuable. So here we are. Let's get into it and let's let's start with what is the first thing you want to know? Sure. So my, my first question is, as you were saying about audience retention. So number one is how do I retain my paid audience? So in other words, the, the, the people that pay an annual subscription to access my membership product. Uh, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm, that's a concern is because it's coming up to pretty much exactly a year since I launched it. So around a third of my audience signed up back then. And so I'm mm-hmm. going to try to retain as many of them as possible. Yeah. So let's just to clarify a couple of things. So as of now, you're just coming up to the first place where people would retain or renew or any of that stuff. So you don't know at this point whether your retention is good, bad, or otherwise you're about to find out basically, right? Yeah. Well, Already some people, my earlier subscribers, some people have already decided not to renew. So mm. I'm already getting okay. a few notifications through that, you know, people have decided not to carry on. And mm. I generally ask them, you know, why did you decide not to? And the feedback I'm getting is that they like the product. The product is good, but you know, it seems that some people after a year have kind of had enough and they've got different priorities. So yeah, I just, I just hope all of them don't think that. And then, yeah. So are you getting any sense? I know it's early, but are you getting any sense of percentage of, you know, like you've heard from some who are like, Hey, I'm not going to renew, but you don't really know. Is it 10% or not going to renew? Is it 80% or not going to renew? You just don't know at this point. Yeah. I, 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 honestly, I just don't know. Yeah, and, and okay. I, 
ask the you know in, individually or directly. It's just really hard to gauge that at this point. A couple of things. So the first thing to understand is, you know, for you and for for anyone, you're never going to have a hundred percent retention rate. Obviously, no matter how amazing and great your product is, for some of the reasons that I think you've already heard from some people that are not renewing, their interests change, their career change, their financial situation changes, going into it understanding that some people are not going to renew and it may have nothing to do with your product. So it's, it's the same thing with newsletter unsubscribes, right? People unsubscribe every time I send an email. It doesn't mean that my newsletter is not good. It means that, you know, stuff changes for everybody. Now, obviously, you want the retention to be as high as possible, but I think it's important to go into it realistically and understand that, like, there's going to be churn. There's always going to be churn. So, like, my Skill Sessions product, which for anyone who's listening, you can check out at joshspector.com slash sessions. It's really good, and people really like it, and lots of people renew there's people that don't. You know, even though I think that's a very successful, very good product, and I don't, I probably should know, but I don't know exactly what my retention rate is, but I would guess it's 60%-ish. And I, I feel good with that, especially on an annual subscription, because a lot can change in a year. It's a little different than someone buys a monthly, they do one month and then they're gone. A year is, is a much different thing. So I think it's important to keep that in mind as you go into this and as you discover kind of what retention looks like for you. The one, first thing I was going to say to you, which it sounds like you're already doing, which is which is great, it's important to talk to, to have some conversations with the ones that don't renew and conversations with the ones that do. And really just sort of get a sense from them and pay attention to the words they use. Hey, you know, thank you so much for renewing. I'm curious, like, why are you renewing? What are you finding most valuable? What did you get out of it? What did you wish there was more of? And vice versa, you know, which are, you know, cause you will learn like, okay, they're not renewing because their interests changed or this was a nice to have. It wasn't a must have. Like you'll start to get a sense of what is driving each side of those equations. And that will help you both understand the marketing, the messaging to help you understand who you're attracting. You might discover that some of those people that aren't renewing probably weren't a good fit for it in the first place. And it might be not that the product let them down. It might be that you had attracted some of the wrong people initially. Another thing that I think is worth considering is, and again, some of this is about you only have so much time and scalability and whatever, but your audience is big, but it's still relatively, you know, relatively manageable. Having individual conversations with subscribers before it's time for them to make the decision to renew or not. So reaching out to people a month, two months in advance, whatever it is, even if it's a couple of weeks or whatever it is, and not in the context of the pressure of, oh, you have to decide whether or not to renew, but reaching out to them and having those conversations about, hey, you know, you've been here 10 months. I'm making this up, but we're 10 months into this thing. How's it going for you? I want to say thanks. I hope you're finding it helpful. I'm curious to learn from you what you'd like more of or less of. It doesn't have to be a, hey, are you going to stay or go? It can just be that connection. And the, the thinking here is besides you getting valuable information, that if you make each individual feel valued, make them feel heard, make them feel like they're a part of something, and ideally make them feel like year two is going to be even better than year one, that's going to make them way more likely to renew. And this is just a general note, and this kind of goes year long as well. 
the more on an individual level people feel like they have a relationship with you, the more likely they are to stay, the harder it becomes to go. And that doesn't mean that you have to have a weekly call with people all week. Like, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying one, and it doesn't even have to be a caller in person, little interactions. You could set up an automated email theoretically that six months in people get and you say, hey, I just want to check in with you. How's this going? And that will go a really long way. I think a large portion of my audience, even if I don't have a lot of direct interactions with them, they feel like they know me. That helps get people to stay. And one of the things that I've noticed, and again, this is a different product, but one of the things I've noticed with my skill sessions, whereas before my paid subscription product was basically like a paid newsletter, it was written, it was all written text. Now these skill sessions are once every two months, I do a video workshop. And this is anecdotal, so I can't necessarily prove this, but I think the fact that they can join these videos and I can see them on Zoom and we can for a second say, oh, hey, Corey, it's good to see you again. Like, hey, you know, that little bit, I think goes a long way to them. I just think it's human nature, right? I think it makes it tougher for them to say, oh, I'm gonna abandon this thing because they they feel more connected. And so I think looking for ways that you can make subscribers feel like they know you, even if it's small, simple interactions, will ultimately help a lot with retention. Do you have a monthly offer or just annual? Uh, so yeah, we do, I, I do, so I publish on Substack. So I, I do an annual, subscri- annual right. uh, subscription and then there's a monthly option as well, which is obviously it's geared towards hoping people will go for the right. annual. On a and are most of your people annual? Yeah, I think I think probably ninety percent more annual. Okay, so I was going to say that's what I figured it was with you, but just for anyone else that's listening, if you're doing monthly, going annual, I think will help with retention in general. Yeah. Obviously, you're getting them for a year up front, but the other thing is not just the year up front. That gives you a year for them to develop a deeper connection, for them to get value out of it. Whereas if you go month to month, it can be like, oh, I got to immediately prove that this is worth it. And also when you go month to month in terms of retention, every month you're forcing people to ask themselves, is this worth it? Yeah, That's a lot different than once a year having them go, is this worth it? And the pain, quote unquote pain of paying, even if they think it's worth it and even if they like it, they're feeling that pain every month on their credit card statement Yeah, versus they're feeling the pain once and getting the pleasure for a year. So in general, I'm a big proponent of annual versus monthly, which again, I know that you're doing. Yeah, so I, I think the, the monthly versus annual piece, I think that, that seems to be okay. I think I'm quite happy with that. Yeah. Um, yep. And I find often the people that sign up for a month, fair, not not regularly, but quite a lot of those then unst- you know, unsubscribe because it's yeah. for them. Rather they do that yeah. monthly thing than a year thing. Yeah, so I'm already doing that. On, the, uh, on your idea of reaching out to people. So I've started doing that as a welcome thing. Mm-hmm. So when people sign for the for the paid membership, I do like a 20 minute call with them. I offer a 20 yeah. minute call. And yeah. I found that's really useful, both to yeah, I'm sure. but also just understanding the audience better. I hadn't yeah. that I hadn't thought of that actually on, on the other end of the cycle. So I I'm, yeah. I'll definitely do that. I'm sure that you find even with the welcome one, the welcome call that you're doing my guess is the people that take you up on that, as you move forward, it probably you can probably sense that that relationship is different than the people that don't. Yeah. Like just that one call, that one goes a long way. The other thing I would say to, to think about, and this is in general, is when you think about retention, can you think of or come up with 
reasons for people to stay and renew for a long time that isn't just dependent on you churning out new content all the time. So there's no one way to do this and it's different in every scenario, but this is why you'll see a lot of creators and stuff develop a community element because they're hoping that the community will help people stick as opposed to just the constant flow of new content, which they're doing new content anyway, but thinking about what would be a reason for someone to stick with this other than just new content that I'm creating. Not always possible, not always easy, doesn't always fit with every niche or product, but something to think about. The last thing I would say here, again, just from in terms of a, a mindset or thing that's worth thinking about, is what people are actually buying. And what I mean is, in general, yes, people are buying the resources and the content and all of that stuff. But all of it is at its root, usually rooted in some sort of emotional reason that they buy. They're buying because they feel insecure about their language skills. They're buying because they want to impress their boss or their company or their whatever. They're buying because they're bored. They're buying because they want to find people. They're lonely, not in like a personal lonely sense, but they want to find people like them. So thinking about what are the emotional reasons that people buy, and I'm not necessarily saying you should do a community, but I'm just using that as sort of a simple example, right? Why do people stay? Why are people more likely to retain for the community? Not more likely, but they're staying for a community in certain scenarios because they've now become friends They've now developed a connection with not just you, but with this thing. It, they now identify themselves, which is super powerful, as one of these people. And not renewing removes them. All of a sudden, not the cost of not renewing is I lose my friends. I lose a piece of my identity. I know that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's true, right? So if you can figure out on some level, I lose my confidence that I know what's going on. I have fear of missing out. You can think about the emotional stuff and then think about how you incorporate that into your products and offers and even your messaging about retention. That's the holy grail. Like, you know, there are things where people are never going to leave. And usually they're never going to leave because there's some emotional tie that they've built. And that's the other thing too, is thinking about not only can they have that relationship or connection to you, but the more likely they can have a connection to the brand, the community, even if it's not, it doesn't mean it has to be a quote unquote community, but the more they feel connected to the sort of, this is a piece of who I am and what I do, the less likely they are to cancel or not renew. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And actually, of course, I started to try and do the community piece. So I, I, I'm mm -hmm. already trying to offer that, but I haven't quite, it's just not. I don't feel like I've got it right yet. Clearly, I think that, that's what people are looking for. It's just a question of how do I actually... Yeah. Make and it also, it also can be, it also can be, it can be commu the community piece and it also can be the habit piece of it. There's people that like, this helps me develop and maintain this habit. You know, you think about, I know you're doing Ship 30 and we'll talk about that in a, in a second, I think, when we get to Twitter and stuff. But, you know, why do people do Ship 30 multiple times? Yes, there's a community piece of it, but there's also the, this is a forcing function that helps me keep this habit of writing. And I'm worried that if I don't, and I'm not an expert in ship 30, I haven't done it, but my guess is a lot of the a high percentage of people that are doing it multiple times are doing it because it allows them to keep that habit. And they're worried that if they don't do it, they'll lose the habit. 
Yeah. There are some similarities there in terms of you helping people practice and helping position and message and, and the understanding of like, you want to get to a place where they feel like if I don't renew, let's be honest, I'm not going to practice as much as myself. I'm not like, there's a thing there that's not just about the content, that this is on some ways a forcing function or a thing that helps me continue to do the thing. And that idea of habit is also something, even for new subscribers, that I think from what I remember in looking at your stuff, like and probably talk about practicing and that kind of stuff, you might want to start thinking about this newsletter and your products and stuff as a tool that helps people develop the habit of practicing their Chinese. Because that might be a powerful hook for people who want to do it and they're looking for sort of a forcing function, right? If nothing else, they're going to get an email in their inbox once a week that is going to remind them to sort of practice some stuff and and whatever. So something to think about. Yeah, that's a really good point. Cool. So let's get to your next question. What is the next thing you want to know? Okay, so the, ne the next, so that first one was about retaining audience. The last two questions are about audience growth. How do I, you, maybe not the word isn't used, but how do I encourage my current audience of the free products or the paid product, but I'm thinking more of the free product to share my content more? whether it's like an affiliate program or group subscription mm -hmm. or, you know, haven't, I don't really feel like I'm making it easy for people to share or. So basically, how do you encourage word of mouth and turn one subscriber into two or three or five or whatever, right? How do you, you know, amplify that growth? One of the reasons why I love doing this podcast is because I get questions like this that are very common and I've sort of thought about them before, but they give me the excuse to sit down and go, oh, what am I really going to tell Andrew and what would I really do? It's a forcing function for me. I wind up seeing things differently and coming up with things. So I came up with a bunch of ideas that I have for you, most of which I am not even doing myself. And I'm like, whoa, I should be doing that. <laughs> like, I was like, I should be, I should be doing this. So I will be applying some of these concepts. So thank you for the prompt. So let me start here. The first place I went is the idea. It's a simple question, right? How do I get my subscribers to spread the word and bring in more subscribers and turn one subscriber into two? You know, if every subscriber you got led to two subscribers, that's a huge, that's a huge impact. And the first thing I thought about is, there's actually five different phases of subscription. So what I mean by that is the first phase is a person who is not subscribed to your newsletter, but they're considering it. The second phase is the moment they subscribe or the more accurately, the moment right after they subscribe. The third phase is during their subscription, which is where most of your people are, right? They've, they've subscribed, they've been reading it for three months, six months, eight months, two years, whatever. The fourth phase is the first time they pay you money for something. They do a paid subscription, they buy a product, they do whatever. And then the fifth one is the moment we were just talking about when they renew. So the decision to go, okay, I've been subscribed to this for a year, I'm gonna renew, which is different than the first subscription when different than when they're in the middle. So I was thinking about those five different moments or phases, you actually wanna consider a strategy, five different strategies, a strategy for each of those moments about how you're going to turn that subscriber in that phase, how you're going to get them to drive word of mouth and attract more people. Because those phases are very, are very different. And so I'm going to give you a few specific ideas of examples of things you could do. So for example, when someone is in the phase, let's say, where they're considering a paid subscription, you could offer them an incentive if they refer a friend. So maybe it's a discount, maybe it's access to something special, maybe it's an affiliate fee, maybe it's a whatever. 
So when that person is in that moment and they're like, I'm going to upgrade to his paid subscription, you could have something that said, hey, if and you can figure out the logistics of how to do it, even if it's as simple as them emailing you and you give them a discount code or whatever, right? But you say, hey, if you know someone else, how much is an annual subscription for you? So it's now $140 a year. Okay. So let's say it's 140 and you go, hey, if you find someone else that wants to subscribe with you at the same time, I'll give it to both of you for $100, making that up. Or if you get someone who subscribes with you, I'll give the two of you a private call to whatever, right? You can come up with whatever incentive you want. But in that moment, to nudge them to both close the deal and subscribe, but also nudge them to turn them from a buyer to a promoter, give them a reason to bring someone in. Most of those people probably know at least one person who would also be interested in what you're doing because they live, they live in that world. So that's an example of what you could do with someone who's considering a paid subscription. The other thing is right after someone subscribes, you can incentivize them to tell others what they've done with a similar tactic. So remove the friction, make it as easy as possible for them to promote you, right? So the difference there is just you're using it up front or you're using it on the back end. Hey, I so appreciate that you subscribed. I'd be happy to give you $25 back if you tell someone else to sign up using this code or whatever. Mm. So again, same kind of tactic, just placed differently. So here's another one. So the mass of your audience who's in that sort of middle phase, they're subscribed to your free thing or, or your paid thing, but basically, you know, they're a subscriber, they're just sort of in the middle of all of it. You could create some sort of group growth challenge for lack of a better term. And the idea here is that if collectively your audience helps get X number of new people to subscribe, it unlocks a benefit for all of them. So you could say, hey, and again, you could do it on the paid side or the free side. So you could say, I have 5,000 subscribers. Collectively, we get another 500 subscribers in the next month. And also, I think for, for people, I think a lot of people with referral programs are like, I'm never going to get 10 people to sign up for this thing. But everyone helps. And you're also creating a narrative arc. So you can, in each issue, be talking about, hey, guys, we get... 100 new subscribers, like we're getting closer. You know, I did X, Y, and Z. And because again, it's collectively as a group. So you're creating a narrative story that's rewarding the group for helping you grow. And it also helps them feel some sense of ownership in, in the thing. So that's an example of what you could do for people at that phase. Here's another one that would be interesting for paid subscriptions. So right after someone buys a paid subscription or when they renew, you could message them and you could say, hey, I really appreciate it. And I want to give you the opportunity to gift someone you know a free year subscription. Okay. So yes, you're paying for this thing, but you probably know someone who would value this. I'm going to give you, you can email them and say, hey, I do this thing. I really appreciate everything you do for me. I wanted to gift you a free year subscription. For you, you don't make mon any money on that on year one, but it's the ultimate lead generation. Because assuming it's good, and you, again, it's more of a longer term play, but that literally turns one subscriber into two and a certain percentage of those free subscribers, if they like it, will pay to renew the following year. And your new subscribers feel, it's basically a two for one, right? Your new subscribers feel like, oh my God, I had no idea and I just bought this guy's thing and now he's given me this like thing that I can gift to somebody else and feel, you know, do something generous and whatever. 
this is a little inspired by, and I cannot remember where I heard it. I think it might be, there's a book by Jonah Berger called Contagious that's really good. It's all about how to drive word of mouth. It might be in that book, but there was somebody who, there was an author, and I don't remember what the book was about, but it was like a relatively like niche book. Let's say it was about some scientific thing, some niche science thing. So he sent two copies of the book for free to all these professors in that area, unprovoked. He got a list of professors in that field. He sent them all two copies of the book. He said, one's for you because I thought you were interested. The second is for you to give to somebody that you think will be interested in it. He basically, it was such hyper-targeted, effective marketing because he realized what was going to happen was those professors could find his audience better than he could. And so I'm borrowing a bit of that tactic for you here, where it's like the people that pay for your thing can probably find other people who will value your thing better than you can. Yeah. And it doesn't cost you anything or any additional work because, yeah, you're giving it to them free for a year, but what difference does it make? You wouldn't have found them anyway. It's not like you're producing the same amount of newsletters or whatever, and some of them down the road will become will become paid. So that I think is something that's worth thinking about. Yeah. And I think that's one, you know, that if you were going to do one of these things, I would experiment yeah. probably with that one because it's very easy to do. It's rewarding people that have already paid you. And I think starts the relationship yeah. on a like, oh, that's pretty cool. So does that all, that all make sense? Yeah. That, I hadn't thought of any of those ideas. Well, honestly, like I said, thank you for the question because I hadn't thought of many of them either. But I think once you, and again, that's sort of the tip of the iceberg, but once you start thinking about the different phases and go, what could I do to people that are in this position to get them to spread the word? What could I do to people that are in this position to get them to spread the word? And a lot of that stuff can be automated or simple. It doesn't involve a lot of heavy lifting. Cool. Let's get to your third question. What is the next thing you want to know? Third question is also about audience growth for the free mm -hmm. newsletter, which is how do you suggest I use Twitter? specifically with my kind of content to grow the audience for the free newsletter. Let me ask you first, and you know, like I love Twitter. Let me preface it with this. So I love Twitter. I'm a huge fan of Twitter. I also believe that anybody can succeed on any platform. I'm not one of these people that are like, oh, your audience is on Instagram. There's plenty of people on any of these platforms for you to succeed. But I am just curious, why Twitter? Why are you thinking Twitter as opposed to elsewhere? So I've seen, including you, you know, people using it really effectively to grow decomposed audiences, both over a long period of time, sustained growth, and also the, uh, the occasional big jumping growth as well. I mean, I've never really used it, and I just decided this year to focus on it, see if I can make it work. But I'm finding it hard to work out, how, you know, what content that I've got should I use? How do I repurpose what yeah. I've got? Let's start here. So with some of the basics, the mechanics of how... Twitter growth actually happens, right? So what happens is somebody sees a tweet of yours somewhere, somehow. They retweeted it. They came across it. You featured it in your newsletter. You linked to it, whatever it is. Somehow someone sees your tweet. And let's say, hopefully, they like it. They find it interesting. They find it helpful. They go, who is this guy? They click on your profile. They go to your profile page. They're on your profile page for a specific purpose. They're actively deciding, should I follow this guy or not? So with that in mind, your profile page is essentially like a sales page or a landing page for why someone should follow you. So everything on it should be geared towards that in mind, the conversion, especially the stuff at the top. So your bio is not about you. Your bio is about convincing people the value they will get to follow you. They're reading your bio 
not thinking, who is this guy, but thinking, should I follow this guy? Is he worth it? So the elements you have static, you have the, you have a banner, you have your bio, you have your website link, and then you have a pin tweet. All of those should be in your mind when you're creating them, that the people that are looking at them are people who saw some tweet of mine, thought it was interesting. They're literally trying to figure out, should I invite this guy into my feed? How can I use those four key elements to convince them to invite me into their feed specifically? With that in mind, I just want to pull up your account. Don't worry, I'm not, I'm not going to pick on you. For anyone listening, it's at Andrew Methvin. We'll link it in the show notes. But so with that in mind, putting myself in the head of people that like they saw some tweet of yours, they're not quite sure who you are, right? So they go to your your banner image is blank. So that's just a yeah. missed opportunity, you know, missed opportunity. Your bio currently says mastering modern Mandarin one idiom at a time, author of slow Chinese, columnist at the China Project, tweets about Chinese language trends. It's about who you are and what you do. It's not about who you help and what they get. So if you compare that to to my bio, for example, so my banner says I help creative entrepreneurs. So if a creative entrepreneur sees it, they immediately know this guy. They don't know that I'm good or not. They don't know that I'm whatever, but they know, oh, maybe this is for me. Very clear, but clear and simple. I help creative entrepreneurs. Then my bio says, I simplify audience and business growth for you by sharing how I built a 24,000 subscriber newsletter, six-figure solopreneur business, and popular podcast. So that first part, I simplify audience and business growth for you. So I see they go to my page. They're like, okay, this guy helps creative entrepreneurs. How does he do it? Oh, he's going to help me. I want to grow my audience in business and I'd like it to be simpler. And it seems very complicated. And then I have a little bit of my credibility in the second part. Oh, this is not just some random guy. Like he's built a newsletter. He's got a podcast. He's a solopreneur. Now look, that may scare, not scare, but it may turn some people off. They're like, I want to build a big agency. I want to build a big company, but they're not my main target audience anyway. The key is having it be focused on the value that you provide to them, not the equivalent of like a resume, sales page versus versus resume. I even have where the location field would normally be, like yours says the UK or London or, or whatever it was. I just changed that to start here with an arrow pointing directly to my newsletter subscribe page. So that's what you want to do from a sort of conversion standpoint, right? Now it's separate. How do you get people to see your tweets? And we'll talk about How do you get people to bother go looking at your profile? But first thing you want to do is optimize your profile to convert and capture the people that do go there. So in your case, it's all about expressing that value you provide to them, who they are and making them want to follow you. So again, in terms of revising your Twitter bio, the point you're trying to get across is I help these people do this, make it obvious. You know, in my case, my banner just says I help creative entrepreneurs. You certainly could do that. You know, I help people master what it mandarin however you want to phrase it or you could even more specifically reference your newsletter in it you know i help people do this but so that anyone that even looks at the banner knows that there's a newsletter that's going to help them do that thing then a quick note just about the ship 30 atomic essay thing and this is my own again i haven't done ship 30 i have a lot of respect for what those guys have done and i know people love it so this is just my own perception of it. I don't, for anyone that doesn't know, Ship 30 has people write these like short atomic essays and then post them as sort of screenshots and tweets. I think most people don't want to read screenshot essays. 
I think that same content presented natively on Twitter as a thread would perform much better. So I'm not against you sharing that stuff. I think you should share it. I think it will do better as a thread than it will as a image screenshot. Something to experiment with. I mean, that's a minor thing, but thought I would mention it. Okay, so the next thing and the bigger piece of this Twitter growth is like, all right, great, you've got your optimized profile. How are you going to get people to see your tweets? How are you going to get people to your account? How are you going to get people to, to even see it? There's a really good book by Russell Brunson called Traffic Secrets that is not just about Twitter. It's about, in general, this idea of how do you get traffic to anything? And the basic or one of the basic concepts of the book is what he calls the Dream 100. And essentially, the Dream 100 is you make a list of people whose audiences you would love to be in front of. Like the people you're like, this person, this publication, this podcast, whatever it is, right? You're like, the people that consume or follow that person's stuff would probably like my stuff. Once you, and this is a very simplified version of it, and I'm just sort of talking about it in terms of Twitter, and it doesn't have to be 100, but I would make a list of who are those people on Twitter that you would love to get in front of their followers. Like if you could pick people that, and have them introduce their audience to you, that would be it. But the difference is, yes, it's great ultimately if you could ever have them promote you or whatever, but it's not really about the person, it's about their followers. So once you have that list of people, you're going to start being active in replying to it and the engagements on those people's tweets because their followers are going to see that bit by bit by bit. And you're going to be replying with stuff that's valuable and interesting, not just self-promotional, whatever. That's how you're going to start to get in front of those people. A lot of times when you're starting out and growing your audience, what you do with replies to other people is more valuable than what you tweet yourself because you don't have many followers. So it's like you want to go get in front of the right people. Separate from that, another concept, you have the advantage that you have a large newsletter and, and a large existing audience. Do you know anything about Twitter lists? Yeah, I haven't really started looking at that yet, but it's, again, it's, it's on my list of things to yeah. find work. So look look up, you can Google, there's a million things out there. They're really basic, but you can create a Twitter list of anything. You can make it public or private. I would create a Twitter list to feature your readers and subscribers who use Twitter. Okay. In your newsletter, send them a thing and say, hey, I, and this goes back to some of the community stuff we talked about. I'd love to create a way for both me to be able to connect with you and for you guys to be able to connect with each other and for me to showcase you to other people who use Twitter. Reply and let me know what your Twitter account is. Take all those Twitter accounts that put them into a list and this is going to do a few different things for you. Well, number one, all those people or a lot of those people are probably going to follow you because it's a way to promote your own account without saying just follow me. But they're going to go, oh, I didn't realize he was on Twitter. Like, I'm active on Twitter. I'm going to go connect with him. Two, it's going to surface for you, everyone in your audience that uses Twitter. So you're going to know them. You can follow them. You can connect with them. You know, you don't have to do all of them, but you certainly can. You're going to be able to create this list of just your readers. The lists create essentially an alternate Twitter feed, right? So you can go to your slow Chinese list and you know that every tweet you're seeing in your feed is from your readers. Really easy to engage with them. I can like that person's tweet. I can reply. I can retweet it. This It's funny how this now ties into stuff we talked about earlier, where they feel seen, they feel connected. You're building relationships. Also, most of those people or a lot of those people, probably the people that are following them would also be interested in what you do. It's again, you're getting in front of other people's audiences as opposed to just putting yourself out there and trying to like hope you get discovered. You're like, well, this person likes what I do. There's probably other people that follow them that like what I do, right? 
or the people that are replying to them, you might engage with them. Like you'll be able to see, and some will be a better fit than others, but I think that will give you, you the advantage of having this existing audience. And so you want to sort of recreate that on Twitter. Like we communicate via the newsletter and then we also sort of hang out here and have conversations. You can even get to a point where you start featuring some of their tweets in your newsletter if they say stuff that's interesting or, or valuable. And then also in your newsletter, like this is something I've started doing. I'm linking to my tweets and tweet threads all the time. So the stuff you're doing for Ship 30, which I don't know if you're doing this yet or not, but link to those threads or tweets in your newsletter, which is also driving your audience into Twitter. Yeah. yeah the I people that already like you, that's what you're going to leverage to grow on Twitter, as opposed to, you know, again, you're going to use the advantage you have of an existing audience to find more as opposed to sort of just randomly trying to find new people. Yeah. The other thing I would say that you can do is you can do Twitter search can be really powerful. It depends. I don't know how well it may or may not work with your niche, but you can do strategic searches to find people sharing relevant content you might want to engage with. So for example, you may or may not know, a lot of people don't even realize this. You can do a Twitter search for a URL of an article or a website. And it's going to show you everyone who's sharing links to that website. So I'll use, and I don't know that this is a perfect fit or not, but Cynicism, the Bill Bishop newsletter, if he's, you know, if he's one of your dream 100 or, or whatever, you could do a search for cynicism.com and you'll see everyone that's tweeting links to his stuff. Okay. And I did it earlier today and even saw some people that just shared a generic thing of like, just subscribe to Cynicism. Yeah. So now, um, this is a complete hypothetical. And again, like anything, some of it will work, some of it won't. But for example, if you did that search, you could reply to the person that said, just subscribe to Cynicism and literally not even promote your thing. Just reply to him and go, oh, you're going to love it. I've been a subscriber forever. Here's subtle promotion. I feature links to his stuff in my newsletter all the time. That person who gets that goes, what's this guy's newsletter? Who's this guy? Mm -hmm. Click on the profile. And they see your stuff, which is essentially your sales page. And it's that kind of hand-to-hand -hand combat and fitting the pieces together that is how you're ultimately going to going to grow on Twitter and, and build audience. The other thing I would say is you can do, because you share other people's content in your newsletter at times, do searches for those URLs, see who else is sharing the same stuff that you're sharing, or go to the authors or publications that created those things and just comment on their thing and say, hey, I featured this in my newsletter. Just wanted to let you know, I featured it in my newsletter this week. Their readers are seeing it. They're on what newsletter features this stuff. It's that little stuff. And I think, yes, you need to be tweeting and yes, you should be you know, doing all that stuff. But I think having your focus be as much on the replies and other getting in front of other people's stuff as it is your own can really help you with growth. Just one other sort of general off the wall concept or something to consider. And this could be done in a bunch of different ways, but could you use Twitter at least partially to have, again, as a prompt or a way to help people practice their Chinese? So could you have a daily conversation in one of your tweets where people have to talk or write in Chinese? So maybe there's a question of a day and you could tell your audience, hey, over on Twitter, and you could, I'm saying daily, but it could be weekly or whatever, right? The conversation thread of the week, you could go, 
every, I'm making this up, but like every Monday I post a prompt for us to talk to each other in Chinese. Either you can upload a video or you can do text or whatever. And you're just, it's a way for them to practice, but it's getting you that engagement. It's giving people another reason to follow you. So yeah, that might be one tweet a week, but they're seeing all the other, all the other stuff. Essentially think about can you use Twitter or some of your Twitter as a way to create a space for people to practice their Chinese that just happens to be living on the Twitter platform? Again, thinking about what they want, what they value. And then the last thing I would say is, you know, and I think you'll see a lot, you'll have a better sense of this when you start to see which of your audience is on Twitter and how they're using it. But even asking them, hey, I'm putting more time into Twitter. What could we do that would be cool and fun? Like I have this audience of 5,000, you know, people even though they're not all on Twitter yet, but like I have this big audience, like any ideas, any suggestions? What would you guys want to to see? And, you know, they might not have any ideas, but some of them might have a cool idea. You can sort of crowdsource some of it and experiment and eventually you'll stumble into something. Josh, with the, uh, you said about asking readers to send me their Twitter handle. Is that yes. than asking them to follow me? Is there a difference? Well, so here's the difference. I think if you ask them to send you their Twitter handles, they will follow you anyway. Yeah. You could ask them to tweet at you if you want. But I think the key with this is if you ask them to follow you, you're asking them to do something for you. If you say, hey, I want to put together a list that's going to feature you and drive more people to you, it's for them. And you can follow each other and find new people to follow and connect with. So I think you'll wind up getting both. I don't, I think it's unlikely that people are going to be like, Hey, here's my account. I'd love to be featured in the list and then not follow you. Sure. I mean, they might, but you know, I think most people will do that. I've done this also in my newsletter creators, Facebook group. People have to apply to, to join, but I let anyone in as long as they answered the three questions, right? And one of the questions is, you know, I think I asked them like how many newsletter subscribers they have. Again, it doesn't matter what their answer is. I'm just trying to get a sense of who's joining the group. One of the questions is, do you want to get my newsletter? Like give me your email address if you want to be subscribed to my newsletter. And the third question is something along the lines of, hey, I have a newsletter creator's Twitter list. If you'd like to be featured on it so people could see you and you can find other newsletter creators, give me your account handle. I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure almost all the people that give me their account handle go follow me to, to see the list or whatever. Again, your list that you set up should be public. It can't be private if you want other people to be able to see it. But you can experiment with it. But yeah, my guess is that most of them, any and the ones that don't follow you, you're going to see them. So you can go follow them if you want. It also creates like sort of a lead generation thing for you as well to just give you a better sense and another place to do have simple interactions with these people. Yep. And you can see if you get, and I have no idea, but if you get a hundred people to send you their Twitter accounts and you only went up by 10 followers, then you can adjust accordingly. And, and honestly, what, you know, you could reach out to them individually or just in your newsletter, say, follow me. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think the vast majority would follow you, okay. especially because you're sharing stuff that's right in line with what you know they're interested in. Yeah. So I could combine the two. So the list make, making that public and then using like a, the, the word of the week or the word of the day idea. Yep. It can just be, you know, hey, every Monday at noon, UK time, I'm going to post the thread. And then again, I think one of the things that people don't do that I think is a huge missed opportunity and I strongly recommend you doing is they tend to use Twitter and social platforms to promote and grow their newsletter, yeah. but they don't do it the other way around. 
So like if you do Monday at noon is our conversation thread or post on Twitter, your newsletter should be featuring, come join the conversation thread on Twitter, should be linking to it. The biggest driver of traffic to my podcast is my newsletter. I'm featuring and linking to my tweets all the time because it's a cheat code for the algorithm. I can, I can make sure that all 24,000 of my subscribers see this tweet. I can't do that on Twitter because of the algorithm. And ironically, sending all those people, and it doesn't have to be 24,000, right? Even a small bit, sending all those people to your tweet boosts the algorithm and says, oh, people, this is getting shared. So it actually helps you in the algorithm as well. You want to view it as sort of this back and forth exchange or sort of this circular thing that continues. Twitter drives the newsletter, newsletter drives to Twitter. And I think a lot of people miss that. They just see social as a way to drive people to the newsletter. And, you know, you could argue, you can make the case that the other way is even more effective and beneficial. But yeah, I would definitely do both. I've just started experimenting with that. Yeah. Especially since I've been doing the shit 30 yeah. around, but I, there's a lot more that I could be doing that I hadn't thought of. So that's a really great idea. Cool. Well, this was awesome. Again, thank you for giving me the excuse to think through some of this stuff. I'm sure people are going to find this helpful. Let's get you some new subscribers right now. So tell people where they can go to check out your newsletter and, and all that stuff. Yeah, so just Google Blog Chinese uh, newsletter. You'll find me on Google. It's Substack. So the website is blogchinese.net. And then obviously Twitter as well is uh, Andrew Messer. Cool. Yeah, and wait do you see. By the time you hear this and go to his Twitter account, you'll be amazed at how great his profile is. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. For my stuff, again, my newsletter, fortheinterested.com slash subscribe. My skill sessions, including one that I just released I, that actually fits with what we're talking about now called the Content Maximizer, which is all about how to repurpose and get the most value out of your content. You can get all of those at joshspector.com slash sessions. If you would like to be a guest on this show and come on and ask me three questions, just come up with three good ones and apply at joshspector.com slash questions. If you want to see how I use Twitter, I'm there all the time at jspector. That is it. Uh, thanks again, Andrew. Thanks everyone for your interest. And I will see you next week.